world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Good evening, and welcome to a horrifying podcast called Craig's List. Oh, what quotes will Carla say today? I bet they'll be absolutely terrifying. And we're covering a movie called Psycho by a director named Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, it's going to be so terribly <laughs> macabre. <laughs> Uh, that, of course, <laughs> my Mickey Rourke impression. <laughs> Welcome to Craigslist, guys. This is Craig. Hi, I'm Carla. And we have a special guest joining us today. He, if you're familiar with the Thrilling Adventure Hour, you may know him as the piano player from the Andy Paley Orchestra, but he's also known throughout the comedy community in Los Angeles for his musical accompaniment and is a composer and an early adapter of the Craigslist podcast. He was in on the ground floor. And uh, as a talented musician, I thought he'd be a perfect person to bring in to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Please welcome Jonathan Dinerstein. Hi, Yay! guys. Thanks for letting. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for letting having me. <laughs> thanks for letting having me. We are recording this at John's house. This is go number two. <laughs> this is attempt number two at this podcast. And Carla, can you explain what happened for uh, the first go? We, <laughs> sure. We were yeah. scheduled to record this yesterday at uh, eleven a.m. It's been and- a couple busy days for us, uh, so we were definitely trying to um, make sure we scheduled enough time to do this properly with John. And uh, so we came over yesterday, uh, parked our car after driving in traffic for a while. Yeah, a lot of Los Angeles traffic. Yeah. You know. Craig got out of the car and said, hmm, I forgot the podcasting equipment at home. Right after we parked. Yeah. Pretty pretty important to bring your recorder and the microphones. I got to say, now that you have it here, I'm kind of impressed with it. Oh, it's it's the real deal. Yeah, you've got a <laughs> yeah. set up here. We don't fuck around. This is a Zoom. <laughs> sure. You a know? Zoom we, H6. We each have our own microphones to talk into. Yep. There's a little behind the curtain for you yeah. listeners. <laughs> so you've done some more low-rent podcasts. <laughs> How many podcasts I A bunch have? of hobos huddling around <laughs> a, uh, a single microphone. Yeah. I just spilled water down the front of my shirt. This is a no joke. real-time commentary of what's going on right now. Do you, need, do you need to stop and clean up? I do feel weird today. I'm just having an off day. <laughs> it feels like an on day for, for me. This oh, feels boy. like This feels like just Carla being Carla. And our listeners, Craig's listeners, would want nothing less. Right. So you do you. I'll do me. <laughs> that includes spilling a, uh, a glass of water. Uh, t- <laughs> today's movie is, uh, is Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. And this is the first time we've delved into the work of Mr. Hitchcock, uh, on this podcast. And I would say that even today in 2017, if you asked the average American, name a film director, I would bet that Hitchcock would get more answers than anybody else. Yeah. Maybe Spielberg. Sure. But, uh, I, I think to, 
to me, he is just synonymous with film directing. And he might have been the first guy that was bigger than the movies uh, in some way, that, that, uh, or bigger than his stars almost. You're saying he was fat? <laughs> He's a big guy. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Oh, I was he trying really to be so <laughs> delicate about the guy. This guy is a real porker. He really filled out that profile. <laughs> yes, you know what he I mean? did. Yeah. And I guess it's because he had the Alfred Hitchcock uh, Presents television show where he did, you know, little mysteries and, and short films. But then also the, he had the thing uh, of uh, appearing uh, in a cameo in all of his movies as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's why we heard from him at the beginning of this podcast because mm-hmm. little known fact, any podcast about Alfred Hitchcock also has to include a Hitchcock <laughs> cameo. Of course. Um, I think when I was a kid – I knew what he looked like and sounded like, probably because of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents thing, but I thought that that was the Twilight Zone. Well, they were very similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Alfred Hitchcock Presents predates the Twilight Zone. Is that right? I think that's right. Interestingly, uh, the composer of uh, the score for Psycho that uh, I'm excited to get to talk about, Bernard Herrmann, uh, also wrote music for the Twilight Zone TV show as well as for Alfred Hitchcock. Oh. He did do 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 do. No, I don't think he wrote that theme, <laughs> but he wrote he scored some of the episodes. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and that is true, by the way. The actual title of the Twilight Zone theme song, do 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 do. So, Psycho is really a groundbreaking film. And it, it changed a lot of things in Hollywood. And it's not even that typical for what Hitchcock was doing at the time. Cause he's coming across after these big, grandiose, technicolor, uh, widescreen, you know, films of Vertigo, North by Northwest, North by Northwest. I don't know. Letting why having me. Letting <laughs> having me. <laughs> Letting having me? Yes. Is that, is that a uh, vocal warm up? No, that's the flub that I said the very first oh. words that I spoke on your podcast. <laughs> You're still preoccupied about that. I, <laughs> well, I, I'm sure, so sure that it, like that would help me avoid letting, yeah, having, listen, letting, letting having, having me, letting having red me, red leather, letting yes. having, letting <laughs> having me. He thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees a ghost. Oh boy, we can north, do this all day. North by northwest, it's still there. I can't get rid of it. Uh, rear window, vertigo, and north by northwest. Three classics uh, that he just made. But this movie was smaller uh, in scale and in scope. Uh, it's in black and white. And uh, it there's many groundbreaking things that he does in this, including killing off his star a third of the way into the movie. Genius. Genius. And uh, in reading about it, it really I, – I, there's a – a documentary about the shower scene in Psycho exclusively that's coming out this year called 7852. Wow. And that's called that because there were 78 setups to shoot the shower scene wow. and there are 52 cuts within the uh, the movie. Do you think that Janet Lee was like, I'm never taking a shower again? <laughs> she never did. She, that's the true. Famous, fact, famously. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. Never again. The one thing everybody said about Janet Lee to her death was that she stank. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story, I, it may be apocryphal, maybe not, that uh, a mother wrote a letter to Hitchcock after... Psycho came out and said, complained to her, to him that, uh, her, after Diabolique, which was earlier in the decade, which is a, a French horror movie that yeah. right. famously had a grisly murder in a bathtub, uh, the mother said, after my daughter saw Diabolique, 
she refused to take baths. And now that she saw Psycho, she <laughs> won't take a shower. Yeah. And Hitchcock is said to have responded, have her dry cleaned. Uh, <laughs> oh, Hitch. Oh, that, that typical dry wit of Hitch. <laughs> Uh, but in reading the the review on 7852, uh, it kind of talked about how Psycho is two films. It's the film that came out in 1960 that blew audiences' minds. Mm-hmm. And then it's hard for us today because everybody knows exactly what the twists in Psycho are. Right. You know, I can't imagine what it would have been like at the time. And that's why it's so ingrained in pop culture. But for anybody watching it now, like I, I'm, I definitely, Craig's first time watched it as a teenager at a slumber party with a bunch of friends on VHS. And, you know, we knew it was a scary movie and we were properly scared by it, you know, but a lot of it is, is kind of boring. <laughs> since mm-hmm. I'm, or, or at least to say there's a lot of stretches where not much happens. Sure. Or the things that are happening are not. Uh, really part of the, you know, main plot that you think it is, which is Norman Bates killing people. Right. Uh, but, and everybody knows the twist that mother is dead and Norman Bates is pretending to be her, you know. But now what we watch it for is knowing all of the cinematic tricks that are hidden in it and to just enjoy the craft of it. Well, he spends a long time, or not, not that long a time, but the first whole stretch of the movie is sort of convincing the audience that it's going to be one movie, that it's, it's going to be a movie about Janet Lee stealing money. Right. Yep. Totally. And, uh, then it's, that's the bait and switch of it. Yeah. It's the classic, uh, Hitchcock MacGuffin, yeah. which, uh, the MacGuffin is the, the red herring, the thing that you think the plot is going to be about. And in fact, it is not. So he's right. distracting that what a MacGuffin some, is? That's what a MacGuffin is. I thought a MacGuffin was the thing that is driving the plot that everybody wants to get, but it's not important that the audience knows exactly what it is. Wait, what did you say it was? <laughs> you I said was it on was a, a Herald team that was called MacGuffin. Uh-huh. And I should know what that means. And I <laughs> knew it was something to do with film. I, I the The sled from... You know, that one movie, the Orson Welles movie. Also uh, scored by Bernard Herrmann. Magnificent Ambersons. No. Oh, the sled uh, in uh, Touch of Evil. Stop. <laughs> I'm having a day, you guys. Uh, what's it called? Citizen Kane. That's it. Rosebud. That's a MacGuffin, right? The sled? I, th- I think John and I are both right. That I think <laughs> the uh, original... And I, I'd have to go and look of the origins of the term MacGuffin... Uh, but I, I, I don't remember where he originally pulled it from, or even if it was Hitchcock who came up with the oh, term. Oh, it's a Falcon from Maltese Falcon. That's a good example, I think. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, like in The Man Who Knew Too Much, you never really find out what the secret is that he knows too much of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and it, the point is that it doesn't matter what it is. It, it just matters that the characters are concerned about it. Oh. And the glowing briefcase in Pulp Fiction For example, yeah, that's is another, good uh, another famous uh, MacGuffin. But I think more generally, it's referred to the the thing that kind of kicks the the plot into uh, into action. Okay. Uh, but uh, th- this is really just so I can be right. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we'll have to do. God, some, I'm so bored. Uh, <laughs> you're in the middle of watching a write-off. Like, <laughs> who's going to be more right here? Uh, 
<laughs> Carla's more right by disengaging from the conversation. And that's entirely. Carla McGuffin. <laughs> Carla's the MacGuffin in the yeah. Craigslist. Carla podcast. is the MacGuffin all along. I'd like to introduce my new co-host, Jonathan Dinerstein. Oh yeah. Carla, we're gonna kill Carla off a third of the way into the podcast. Oh, Nobody saw it's that. Coming. I'm the girl. <laughs> that's why I'm not getting in the shower. <laughs> I refuse. Now I, I asked you to do this podcast knowing, uh, that you would have a musical affinity for it, you know, and, and you, you had kind of suggested yourself, uh, as a Bernard Herman fan. Yeah. Uh, indeed I am. Hoping that Vertigo would be on my list. That's which, my favorite. Which it is not. Uh, Ooh, Craigslist spoiler. <laughs> I can tell you several movies that are not on the list. <laughs> Overboard. Overboard, not on the list. Too bad. Too bad's not on the list. Is that a movie? <laughs> Too good. <laughs> Too good? Uh, two broke girls, not on the list. Dunstan checks in, not on the list. Uh, the Sandlot, not on the list. Too bad. Uh, too bad. Still not on the list. No, that's too bad too. You mean too bad too? <laughs> Back to the bad. Um, but uh, John, I I think in discovering uh. Uh, in asking you to be on this podcast, I think I discovered that you're a way bigger Hitchcock fan than I would have thought possible. <laughs> so can we get into that a little bit? Uh, so I have been really into the scores of Bernard Herman since I started really being aware of film scores as, uh, something to, to study and, uh, you know, ultimately to, to do myself. Uh, and Hitchcock's partnership with Bernard Herrmann is one of the great director-composer partnerships in the history of film. Uh, they teamed up in the earlier or early and mid-50s and did a whole string of films, including uh, the ones that you mentioned before, uh, North by Northwest, Vertigo. Uh, he did not do Rear Window, though. Well, there's no score at all in Rear Window. There's not? Okay. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> Hitchcock is crazy. There's only, I've forgotten that. The, the, the only music that you hear in Rear Window is music that is uh, what's called source music. That's music that's uh, audible to the characters in the film. It's within the world of the movie. Right. Like on the radio or no, something? Like on the radio, exactly. So he hears music playing on the radio in Rear Window, but nothing is... There's no score. Cool. Yeah. I had. Uh, I think I knew that, but I'd forgotten it. It's been a while. Uh Bernard Herrmann came to Hollywood with Orson Welles, actually, and Citizen Kane was his very first film score. He oh. used to work with Orson Welles back in New York for the, uh, the Mer- Mercury, Mercury Theater Radio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And wrote music for the famous War of the Worlds uh, oh. uh, production that uh, Orson Welles did. And so his first film score was Citizen Kane. And, and then everything he, else was a big letdown yeah. after that. <laughs> and then his last score was uh, Taxi Driver. So oh, it was wow. pretty good first and last. And that was after his death, right? That that movie it, came out? I, that's right. Yeah. The, he, he died something like a, within a couple days of the last recording session for the score of Taxi Driver. Wow. Uh, but he had this long collaboration with Hitchcock and Hitchcock really trusted him. And, and that was something that really, uh, stuck out to me, uh, this time watching the movie was how much work the score was doing. You mentioned those, uh, stretches the movie where not much is happening and it seems to sort of focus on a character doing a, a mundane activity for a long time. And I think the reason that it's anything at all is, is because of the score. Yeah. It brings so much tension, yeah. uh, into it. And I think Hitchcock, 
saw an early cut and was disappointed with his own work here. But then when he put in the Herman score, he ended up doubling Herman's salary mm-hmm. on this yeah. movie. And it was rare for Hitchcock to give credit to other people, but he made a point of saying that that the score was an important part of the uh, the effect of the movie. I, I often say, yeah, Carla, you can uh, confirm this, how I'm always saying this, uh, but, but Steven but, Spielberg and George Lucas, uh, I hope they give John Williams a great Christmas present every year, yeah. you know, because he really made their careers in a lot of ways mm-hmm. with his scores. And I've I think you could say, say the that. same thing. Yeah. I say it all the time. That's absolutely true. And Spielberg Williams is you know, probably the other great director composer collaboration. I mean, there's a, there's more as well, but yeah. Uh, so as a musician, uh, what makes a Herman score great or what made him great as a composer? Uh, feel free to get as inside baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this as you'd like, uh, like I said, Hitchcock really trusted him to, uh, to get the tone of, the movie get what was happening at what needed to be conveyed uh and he gave him very very little instructions which is again unusual for hitchcock who uh was known for planning everything out to the last detail but he he really didn't give herman many instructions and uh but he knew that herman would uh would get the what well, get what was tense get why it was tense. And, you know, the job of the film score composer is to uh, sort of distill what it is important for the audience to think about and what it's important for the audience to feel and notice and emphasize that with, you know, sort of translate that into music. And I think, uh, I think he had a, a sort of similar storytelling instinct in that way that Hitchcock did. Yeah, this kind of gets you from the opening credits right out of the gates that of like, we're going to lead with, you know, the main theme of Psycho right away, which is so like histrionic and tense. And it's matched up with the visuals of Saul Bass, who was mm-hmm. the, uh, the famous uh, production designer who did a lot of opening title sequences in the sixties. Uh, and this is, it's kind of primitive by Saul Bass standards and it's just like blocks of text, like moving across the screen, you know, but it, it was probably quite advanced at the time. Uh, yeah. And he and Saul Bass, uh, animated that to match the composition, to match the, uh, the music that Herman had written, which goes like this. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I had this all set up. It goes like this, and it's a turkey in this drop place. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I feel like I'm running through the forest, trying to escape someone chasing me. Oh, yeah. My my heart is pounding. Yeah, it's heart pounding. Just after 15 seconds of that. This, I'm just kind of realizing this as you're talking about the music and how it connects to the story. Whenever I see a knife, I hear eh, eh, mm-hmm. eh, in my head. It's the like the most iconic, you know, association of yeah. music to image. And it's amazing like how just as, uh the sound is connected to that image. Um even 
out of context when I'm just like chopping something. <laughs> <laughs> You're constantly hearing the psycho <laughs> strings in your head. And then I guess I don't even know. I mean, that's playing in the shower scene, right? It must be. Yes. That is. Oh, that's it. So. Yes, that's it. Wow. Yeah. So actually... Crazy. Hitchcock originally didn't want there to be music in the shower scene. Uh, he thought it should just be the sounds of the water and the screaming and then stabbing. Yeah. Uh, and Herman went ahead and wrote that anyway. And then, like you said, when Hitchcock was kind of disappointed with how things were playing, he said, well, maybe we should try music there. And Herman said, well, I actually went ahead and wrote this <laughs> check it out and then hitchcock said well yes of course we'll use that <laughs> it's so good but uh but yeah the, like crazy scary perhaps the most famous film music cue ever you know uh i would agree was yeah. was written you know was the composer's idea yeah for it to even be there on the dvd that i watched you can watch the shower scene as it plays back to back with the shower scene with the music taken out oh, wow. uh and, it, and you know it's still great filmmaking and you sure. you do get to hear the stabbing sounds a little uh more clearly which are really horrifying as well and we'll mm. get to the, what those are in a uh, in a little bit uh but yeah you you need the music and that's what makes that scene so iconic so i just want to point out one uh, I think important and interesting thing about the whole score for Psycho it's is that uh, it's scored for strings only. Mm. There's only you know violins, violas, cellos, and basses, and no wind instruments, no brass, uh, and no percussion. Nothing. Only strings. And uh, Herman did that because he wanted to match uh, Hitchcock having made the movie in black and white. He wanted to use a string orchestra because he said he, it gave a black and white sound. Hmm. Cool. I would imagine like taking the brass out, like take some of the bottom out of oh, it sure. too. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. He's, he really restricted himself. And you'd think, you know, for a scary movie where you want to make the audience jump, you know, you'd want percussion hits or anything like that. Uh, but he, he wanted to sort of constrain his palette and make it, make it black and white, make it grim and cold and kind of flat and, uh, you know, rather than the full range of color that usually an orchestra has. And then those high violin, violin notes kind of like make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, sure. you know, and then make you very anxious, you know. So, like, what's going on musically there? What are those violins playing? Uh, they're playing, well, there's a lot of dissonance. They're playing, uh, first it comes in with this note, and then... So it's essentially the most dissonant notes possible, the most dissonant relationships of notes possible. Yeah. Uh, These are notes that do not go together. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah intentionally. And the way and then he has the violins kind of shrieking up into the yeah. notes. Shrieking uh, is a good way to describe that sound. It's a very fast um what's called a glissando where the, the violinist takes uh the his fingers and you know, slides along the uh, fingerboard up into the note, so you get that. Yeah, which just suggests the bringing the knife up and down. You know, it mm -hmm. it just goes perfectly with the action of sure. the scene. 
Uh, did he do the birds as well? Uh, or is there a score to the birds? You know, I'm at, I, I admit I have never seen the birds for oh. such a Hitchcock fan. The birds is my favorite Hitchcock. Why is the birds your favorite? Um, because I think it's the scariest one. I it think. is. It is very creepy. Yeah. Uh, and I also like her. What's her name? Tippy Hedren. Tippy Hedren. Um, I just think she's a good actress. Well, I felt bad for her character. <laughs> it's a uh, a total Hitchcock type, which is the cool blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grace Kelly, uh, Kim Novak, uh, Janet Lee in this movie, and then Tippi Hedren. So he had a whole series of movies with cool blondes, you know, kind yeah. of emotionally detached, beautiful. But she doesn't, I don't, I think she seems much warmer than Grace Kelly. Tippi Hedren does? Yeah, I think. Uh, did you see Marnie? I didn't. Is uh, she a cool blonde in that? Yeah, she's a very cool blonde. The coolest mm. of blondes. Would, would I be a rad redhead? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make more movies with rad redheads. <laughs> <laughs> and Carla Kakowski is the perfect candidate. Stop it. <laughs> Send her to my office for a private meeting. I feel like that's the kind of voice that just wants a pizza. What? <laughs> he, he just sounds like a fat boy. He just sounds like a fat boy. Yeah. Go ahead, order a pizza. Could I get uh, a large meat lovers? <laughs> there you go. That feels right. What's the meats on the meat lovers? Ugh. Is there pepperoni on? Is there uh, is there sausage? <laughs> uh, that sounds wonderful. And uh, salami. Could you put salami on it as well? And uh, no anchovies. Um, that for some reason is, is a standard pizza joke of like, let me get a large pizza and no anchovies. Was that ever standard that anchovies just came on pizzas? <laughs> if you didn't specify, these are the, <laughs> these are the questions of our time. <laughs> uh, let me just, uh, for you neophytes who are not familiar with the, uh, the plot of Psycho, it concerns a, uh, a young woman, Marion Crane, who works at a bank. And, uh, and she has a, a lover. She's taken a lover, Sam Loomis. Uh, Marion Crane played, of course, by, uh, Janet Lee. And, uh, he, uh, he's trying to get a divorce from his wife, but he doesn't have any money. And she sees this opportunity at work that if she steals this $40,000 that this rich drunk guy has left there <laughs> at the bank, uh, that she and Sam can, uh, start a life together. So she tries to, uh, Sneak out of town, which is Phoenix, is where she's from, uh, with this 40,000 that she's, uh, stolen from her, uh, bank. And, uh, after, uh, switching cars and, uh, running into a very suspicious, uh, highway patrolman. She switches cars to lose the tail of this highway patrolman. Right. But he's standing there watching her. He's right there at the car yeah, dealership. Yes. Yes. He part... watches her sell the one car and get into the other that car. That part really off. loses me. <laughs> it, it, it's, to create it, yeah, it's all to create the tension uh, that this is the story that we're telling. Right. right. Marion getting away with this movie and, you know, and to kind of prolong that suspense of like, are the cops onto her? Of like, there's no way. I mean, if the cop had something on her, you know, he'd arrest her. If he didn't, right. there'd be no way he'd follow her to the car dealership. But it wants to create this sense of menace. So the the cop, you know, who you never see his eyes because he's wearing shade the whole time, is just kind of hanging in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, she makes her way to California and stumbles uh, stumbles upon this uh, roadside motel in the middle of nowhere, the Bates Motel, mm-hmm. which is run by Norman Bates and his invalid <laughs> invalid mother Norma. Uh, 
And uh, Norman Bates played by Mr. Anthony Perkins in really one of the great performances in the cinema. I think he's awesome in this movie. He's very natural. It doesn't feel as mannered as all the other performances in the film. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, and one thing I was thinking of, like, you know, uh, Brando kind of uh, started like the method acting uh, movement in the early fifties, you know, which was kind of came from the New York stage. And like, if you look at like Brando, who's great and James Dean, like, you know, the kind of method performances we associate of the fifties when it kind of like broke, were like really, you know, over the top in a way, you know, yeah. very emotional, you know, but so different than the typical old Hollywood performance. But mm-hmm. I think once we settle into now, like more stage actors have been w- making their way to the movies and the Hollywood system is dying, uh, you get more actors like Anthony Perkins, uh, and also Martin Balsam, who plays the detective, uh, Arbogast yeah, in the movie. Too. And they're just so natural and real. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect for the tone of the movie. And actually, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Arbogast is kind of grilling. Uh, Norman at, at the motel yeah. and they're just both so good in that scene. I feel like Anthony Perkins performance is feels so modern. Like you could pluck <clears> that <throat> from that film and put it in a modern movie and you wouldn't be able to tell that it was made that long ago. And it kind of a, a established, you know, the, the psychopath as a film character, but I think so many actors have chewed the scenery in that role and he's so subtle with it that you just see like these little moments where Norman kind of snaps. Yeah. Uh, but he still like kind of keeps it under control and it's, uh, it's just a wonderful performance. That scene where he comes into the, um, what is it? The fruit cellar? The fruit cellar. Not the wine cellar. Yeah. The fruit cellar. <laughs> where, where you the, keep your fruit. Cool. Where, yeah. where you keep your fruit and you, the bodies of your dead mother. Uh, <laughs> the bodies. The her uh, multiple bodies. <laughs> when, uh, he comes down there after, the sister has been searching the house. Um, at the she, end of the movie now. Yeah, at the end. And he comes in with a knife. And it's the first time that you realize that, if you didn't know this, that Norman is the mother. <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing her dress and her wig. He's got the craziest look on his face. And it's terrifying. It, I totally agree. It's, it's legitimately s- scary. It's so wonderfully awful. Yeah. And it, it I mean, Film audiences at the time must have freaked out, yeah. you know, if you really didn't. I, I can't imagine that anybody watches this now and doesn't know that Norman is his mother. Right. You know, because it, it's just like it's out there in the zeitgeist and, you know, you've seen it in some other incarnation or you just kind of instinctively know it. And maybe, you know, enough movies have played tricks on us over the years. Right. But, uh, you know, Hitchcock famously... Uh, did not allow people late into screening yeah, the Psycho. Yeah. That was like a big part of the, mm. almost part of the advertising campaign for the movie. It was, they were sort of bragging <clears> that uh, that you, the theater managers had to swear that they wouldn't let anybody in late so as not to spoil anything. Do not reveal the twists and turns yes, if you've exactly. seen this movie. And there was yeah. like a, a cardboard stand-up of uh, a cutout of the Pitchcock, a picture of Hitchcock. <laughs> A pitchcock. A pitchcock, if you will, uh, in the theater lobby uh, with the sign explaining how people wouldn't be allowed in. That's and awesome. It's a picture of him looking at his watch. <laughs> That's so great. Just intimidating people. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a big fat guy. One, one thing that wouldn't work today, I mean, several things, but this thing in particular in terms of a storytelling device is that in the movie, whenever you hear Norman talking to his mother, it's 
you find out once you realize that it's Norman that it's Norman talking to himself, but it sounds like a woman's voice. Yes. I think and, it is a woman's voice. It is a woman's and voice. And that would yeah. work that would work if it was just Norman uh hearing it, you know, like if it's in his head, but because other people hear him arguing with the mother yeah. And they hear a woman's voice like it doesn't track as like if that was if that happened in a movie today, people would be like, then they need to explain what that woman's voice was. Yes. Uh, but I think it really works in a cool way to really throw you off the scent. It's a dirty trick. It's a dirty trick <laughs> that wouldn't fly today, but it's totally cool with me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> P- people, you know, just put everything under a little more scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, these days. And that was part of like Hitchcock's little joke on us. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, just to uh, to backtrack to the plot a little bit, that character Marion that I was talking about totally gets killed in the shower by by, <laughs> by Norman's knows. mother. We don't have to tell them about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> totally gets stabbed to death in the shower. And something I was thinking about that uh, that this also I'm stealing a little bit from this review of the documentary that I read, but. Uh, it changed horror forever and that horror was more something of like haunted houses and monsters and mm. just things that could never be true. And this really took horror and made it feel personal and something that might happen to you. And showering is our most like vulnerable moment. We're nude. We mm-hmm. can't see what's going on. We're in the privacy of our own home and to violate that created an entire genre, which is the slasher film, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I mean, there's other tropes like people being punished for sexuality, you know, which is kind of what's happening to Marion and, and people being punished for boobies, <laughs> usually women, though, not always. <laughs> Sometimes the men. For so when you watch, when you watched the, um, the shower scene back to back with music and without, did you, how do you think you, uh, experienced it differently? The main thing was just how visceral the stabbing yeah. was. Oh, in which in which version? In the second version. Well, just hearing it, a, uh-huh. hearing it a little more, you can just hear those sound effects a little. So I, little I think that closer. Th- the music is playing a really important part in uh, making the audience feel empathy for the character. I think mm-hmm. if you watch that scene without music, it's still scary. It's still horrifying. But it seems like it's something that's happening to somebody else. You're a voyeur at it. But I think when you see it with the music, you, you are feeling the horror, like you are Janet Lee and, and it's something that's happening to you too. Right. I think that the music sort of reaches through the screen and makes, you know, makes you feel what the characters are feeling. I agree with that. And I also think, you know, cause well, and we've talked about this with more recent movies. Sometimes the score is so overwhelming that you feel that it's pushing you to feel things that you normally wouldn't feel. And this is kind of like the perfect blend of, mm-hmm. um, cinema and sound doing, you know, working together. Yeah. Cause it accesses your emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, uh, go to see movies in 2017 and you're like, Oh, that's a bad score. Sometimes. What, what makes a bad score for a Hollywood movie? I think it's bad decision making. I I think that uh, the job of the director in sort of directing the composer is a good microcosm for the job of directing overall. Because in order to figure out what you want the music to do, you have to figure out what is the important thing that's happening in the scene. What's the important point of view? What, where are the beats? What do you want the audience to feel? And I think you know those are all the things you have to think about just to direct a scene and direct a movie. And I think those are the the things that you need to convey to a composer or trust a composer to intuit. Uh, 
in order to score the film. So I think there are examples that I'm not going to name. <laughs> Tra- uh, trash some big composers. Yeah. <laughs> where, where it's clear that there's not a good decision-making process, where they're not on the same page um, about uh, you know what should be emphasized, why the audience should feel a certain way when it should. Yeah. Uh, did you see Jackie, by the way? No, I haven't seen that yet. I uh, really like the score for that. That was uh, Oscar nominated this year. And it's a uh, a young British woman. And I think she's like more like a techno person or DJ, you know, and she hmm. also did the score for Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson uh, alien movie. I didn't see that either. And uh, It's terrifying. Oh, I don't see it. <laughs> see it. It's I so... think I left. Did I leave? No, I stayed. No, I walked out for a little bit. Of Under the Skin? Yeah. No, you didn't leave, but you really mm-hmm. wanted to. Then I covered my eyes for a lot of it, I think, was the deal. Yeah. It's a very upsetting movie. It's very upsetting. It's not for everyone. It was totally for me. Uh, but I, I think I'd be interested to hear your take uh, because it's both of those movies are so different than uh, – uh, but maybe the fact that I'm noticing the score maybe means it's uh, – I went to an Oscar party this calls year attention to itself with too friends. Much. I won't say who. And they were bagging so hard on Jackie. <laughs> and I was so disappointed. Yeah. It was such a bummer because I loved that movie. But you know what? We don't all have to love the same thing. <laughs> if I've learned nothing from this podcast, it's that. Uh, we can still enjoy Carla each loves, other as people. Carla loves Jackie and she loves the ramen place that just closed down in our neighborhood. <laughs> and she doesn't care who knows it. And our snobby friends can keep their snobby <laughs> opinions to themselves. You know who you are. We're cutting this out. <laughs> It's very sad when a ramen place closes that you're like, I get it. I just, uh, here's the thing with it's ramen. It's one of the tragedies of hipster LA. All of the ramen tastes the same to me. So when somebody's like, that ramen is terrible, I'm like, it's soup. It's like noodles and soup. What are we talking about? Carla, you don't want to. It's hot. Don't brag about your limited palate. <laughs> well, I've had Silver Lake ramen, which is supposedly, quote unquote, the best. And it tastes the same to me as every other ramen I've ever tasted, with the exception of the kind that you buy at the grocery store. <laughs> That's all I got on ramen. Well, s- since we're getting into Carla's head, we might get into uh, a little bit of a segment that we call Carla's Quotes. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and I buried the lead in uh, uh, setting up John Dinerstein at the beginning of this podcast because you are also the composer to of the podcast. Craigslist theme and, more importantly, the Carla's Quotes theme song. It's my honor. I don't know. Uh, so we want to thank you so much for what you've done and to hear it played live. I know. It was, <laughs> was just it a rare was, treat. incredible. Um, it like, changed my life. I love the studio version so much, but I think hearing it live. <laughs> the unplugged know, version, really. Hearing the unplugged <laughs> version. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, We're so lucky to have talented friends. <laughs> uh, opening titles of Psycho. Uh, Carla, as always at the beginning of the movie, hugging our dog, Benny, on the couch. And uh, she said, what a psycho. Benny, you're such a psycho. (laughs) And then you said, I used to call my brother psycho to torment him when we were kids. I did. And so I used to call him psycho. I'm sorry, Tom. He's not listening. My brother doesn't listen to anything I do. He doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) What's the term? Psycho in... 
popular parlance the same way as it is now before this movie? Oh, good question. I'm going to guess that, I mean, cer- certainly it's a shortening of psychopath, but I think just referring to somebody as a singular psycho, I would imagine that this movie. Which is a word that. that it doesn't, it's not in the movie. Nobody says that word yeah. in the movie, right? Mm. Yeah. It's based on a real story, right? We didn't get into that. Well, it's based on a novel by Robert Block. Oh. And he apparently was a uh, mystery writer and, uh, in Wisconsin. And who was psychotic. Who was psychotic. Total psycho. Uh, but uh, he was writing this story and just as he was about to finish it, the Ed Gein murders became uh, known, which was also in Wisconsin. And Ed Gein is the guy that so many fictional serial killers have been based on that he did kill his mother and, uh, and stuff her and, uh, apparently was trying to make a, uh, a dress out of women's flesh. And so had, uh, all these, uh, furniture and artifacts that he had made out of human flesh. What? So Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs also spun off from Ed Gein. But, uh, so apparently, uh, Robert Block added some details that matched the Ed Gein story to the story he was already working on. Blah. Uh, but it's not necessarily based on, uh, the Ed Gein story. All right. Do glad, something gl- funny. Glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Say something funny. Say something funny. Well, all I have is the funny things that you said, Carla. <laughs> uh, as we leave the opening titles and then we set up uh, Phoenix, uh, it says uh, the time of day, I yeah. think. <laughs> and it says uh, December the 11th. And Carla said, wonder when people stopped putting the, stopped putting the in front of the date. <laughs> Right? <laughs> you would just say December 11th. But back then they said December the 11th. You could still say it. It's, it's just right, more Right, but do you formal. ever hear that? I guess not. And okay. I, I said it was 9-11 because that's changed everything. And I said bad <laughs> joke. Too soon is what I said. Before that, people would just say 9 the 11. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> uh we're made voyeurs with the first shot of the movie, uh, or not the very first shot, but as we set up Phoenix, then we kind of zoom in on a, uh, on an open window at a sleazy, you know, no-tell motel. And, uh, we see our lovers, uh, Sam and Marion, uh, for an afternoon tryst. Uh, but it kind of turns us into a Norman Bates type because we're watching them. Oh, yeah. Good and, point. Uh, anyway, Carla said, woo, sexy time. <laughs> Uh, you don't and, get to see many old movies with a woman walking around in a bra. Well, it was, I mean, it was shocking yeah. at the time. You just didn't see it. I mean, this is just Hollywood kind of coming out of the code years mm-hmm. into movies. The Hayes Code. The Hayes Code. I know things too, you guys. <laughs> um, where you could not show hay in movies. So. Nor can you was say just, it. That was the code. No, yeah. it was for horses. Yeah. Oh and, my gosh. And, uh, uh, so to see a, um, to see a woman in a bra and it, it was just crazy and he's shirtless as well. And they clearly, they yeah, just, I noticed that clearly they just fucked. I yeah. Noticed that. So, uh, I noticed that. <laughs> you noticed how clear it was. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a post coital glow. And I read, uh, the 
chapter on Psycho in the book Hitchcock Truffaut, which if you've not read it uh, and you're a film fan, you must read it. Or it's, you can just see the documentary. Or you can see the documentary. <laughs> like I did. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, the f- French director Francois Truffaut uh, did a series of interviews with Hitchcock in the late uh, 60s. And uh, you get a complete transcription of their interviews. And there was just a documentary that we saw, which is more kind of about the making of the book mm-hmm. than about e- either of their uh, retrospective careers. Uh, but Hitchcock in the late 60s was kind of saying that now he would have her completely topless and have more nudity oh, wow. uh, in that scene. Uh, now that some of those barriers had been broken down. But you obviously could not show nudity in a Hollywood film at the, at the time. Um and uh, and then Carla had several quotes with innuendo with all of their just mundane conversation after this. Because uh, he says, never did eat your lunch, did you? And Carla said, oh, I ate my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that's a heavy-duty bra. And then she said, this kissing is weird. And then she said she has a questionable mole on the back of her neck. <laughs> I was like, she needs to get that mole checked out. Uh, but going back to the kissing, <laughs> I was real on board until they started kissing each other. And then I was like, that doesn't look like real kissing. Okay. Well. It was like this. <laughs> Here, you demonstrate on Craig. Nope. No. Voyeur. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And then, uh, is this when she's back at work? She says, I'll lick those stamps. <laughs> or oh, was yeah. that, or was that in the opening scene? Anyway, Carla said, Oh, yeah, she will. She'll lick those stamps. Oh, no, stamps. that's in the opening scene when, is it? uh, when Sam's talking about mailing alimony checks. Oh, oh alimony yeah. checks. Okay. See, so you thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you thought, Oh, I'll lick those stamps. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's intentionally supposed to create a little, uh, entendre there. Uh, <laughs> Hitchcock's daughter has a little cameo in this. Oh, she's so great in it. Yeah, that's Hitchcock's daughter, the uh, the coworker uh-huh. at the bank. Yeah, and uh, she's got a great laugh line, which is because the customer comes in and flirts with Janet Lee, but not with Patricia Hitchcock, and she says, "I guess he must have noticed my wedding ring." <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, she also has a great part in the other Hitchcock movie on Craigslist, but we'll get to that. North uh, by Northwest. Nope. You told me what it was and I forgot. Well, it's not that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this sleazy guy kind of says, calls her a sweet little girl. And Carla said, why would you think, uh, why would I think uh, you were talking about me? I'm not a little girl. What? You can cut some of these out. (laughs) I don't have to say all of them. Uh, The actor playing the, uh, the sleazy customer, uh, famous for his role as Sam Wainwright. That's Sam Wainwright? Sam Wainwright. I didn't recognize him. In It's a Wonderful Life, who is, uh, hee haw. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So this is 14 years after. Wow, uh, I really didn't recognize him. After that. And then, uh, and then he's talking about getting a drink, uh, to quench his thirst a Rooney. (laughs) And Carla says, thirst a Rooney. That sounds like something I'd say. Wah, wah. Totally true. Thirsty Rooney is going to be a, a key component of your vocabulary. From now on. I'm so thirsty Rooney. <laughs> then Carla said, I'd steal the shit out of that money. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough. Give uh, me another 60000 So w- when they remade the movie in the Gus Van Sant uh, yes. shot yeah. for shot remake, uh, the only thing I think that they changed in the script was they, the amount of the money. How much was it in the remake? I forget. I think they might have. 
two hundred thousand. So yeah. maybe it was. So what is it in the forty thousand? I think they made it four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand. Wow, but, that's a lot of cash. Yeah, well, I'd steal it for that much. Yeah. But with inflation, uh, you've got to make the audience feel the same thing that exactly. you would feel at the time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, did you see the Shot by Shot remake? No, I didn't. I did not see it either. Right. I owned it on v, uh, on VHS, on DVD for years because I thought I had bought the Hitchcock version <laughs> and then I never got around to watching it. Hmm. The cast is kind of interesting though, uh, but I just can't imagine Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. That seems like terrible miscasting to me. I saw it in college, but I don't remember much about it. I like uh, Julianne Moore as Marion's sister. Viggo oh, Mortensen is right. Viggo Mortensen is Sam, and then William H Macy is Arbogast. So I think that's all good casting. And then Anne Hache. Anne Hache is Marion. Right. Yeah, and Philip Baker Hall is the sheriff. Oh, let's so, watch it. We should watch it. Yeah, we should watch it out of curiosity. So but it, that, it, just, it just got ravaged by critics. Yeah, like why? I still don't understand why you would do that. Yeah, uh, but that movie is made in color. Yes. yes. And so they uh, adapted Hermann's score, but orchestrated it for the full orchestra, not just strings, because oh. it wasn't the black and white huh. sound anymore. Okay. I think Danny Elfman did that orchestration. Interesting. And wrong. I mean, I guess I could see from the filmmaker's point of view and the actor's point of view why you would do that. But I don't know why a studio would be like, let's put money in this. <laughs> right? Do you disagree? No, I think you were born out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I know the, Thank the, you. the other change that they made is when they showed Norman peeping on her through the hole in his office and looking into Marion's hotel room, they show him masturbating. <gasps> Gus, of course, Gus had to put that in his movie. <laughs> well, that's his directorial trope, that there's one jack-off scene in every, <laughs> Gus, every Gus Van Sant movie. But that seems like two on the nose, I, two, I, on, I, two, two on the dick. No. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who said that, uh, yeah, if, if Norman Bates actually could masturbate at, uh, at, uh, Marion Crane, he wouldn't have to kill her. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm so not I think, sure. I think, I think, I think he's right. My friend David Avalon, I think he's right that Gus is kind of missing the point by showing that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what sexual dysfunction he has, you know, what clinically it could be categorized as. But I think in Anthony Perkins' performance, you just get that something's He's wrong impotent. with this guy. It may, might be impotent, might be uh, latent homosexuality, you know, might just be uh, mother attachment, you know, an Oedipal mm-hmm. complex that he can't get over, you know. Yeah. But somehow it's clear in Perkins' performance and it doesn't need to be overstated, I think. So let's stop talking about it then. Well, I want to overstate it. I would say the number one theme in Carla's quotes is her trying to foreshadow the shower scene. (laughs) (laughs) So she said, you're making a mistake. You're going to die. Oh, because everything she was doing was like the bad. Yeah, the terrible choice that you you do not make in a horror movie. She's doing everything wrong. Uh, When the cop pulls her over, Carla says, uh, I have a million dollars in my pocket. Oops, didn't mean to say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) There's a sign saying Bakersfield, which she follows, and Carla said, never go in the direction of Bakersfield. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a little Janet Lee compliment. Her eyebrows are on point. They really are. (laughs) Good eyebrows. (laughs) I need to grow my eyebrows out. I was just thinking. About mine? (laughs) No. no, no. (laughs) About yours? Yeah. My eyebrows are not on point. (laughs) Women always making up stories in their heads. What? What was that about? 
I think probably when she's talking to the cop as well. I don't know. Oh, what what is it? She's hearing. Uh, she literally is imagining what's happening back oh, at the yeah. bank. You know, uh, which is totally in her imagination, but is probably an approximation. But it's a, it's another great way of building that tension, right? I think. When she's hearing the voices of how they're all finding out, like she's imagining what's happening at home with them finding out that yes. she stole the money. Yeah. And so it's good to heighten her paranoia and us feeling worried for her. Right. You know? And another great thing the movie does is kind of switch your allegiance once Marion is out of the picture. It's just like, oh, I hope Norman gets away with covering up this murder. I never think that. Did you think that? <laughs> Did you actually want Norman to get away with it? Whoa. Well, look at a, a line has just been drawn in the sand. Oh, I mean, uh, no, I'm with you guys. I mean, he's uh, horrible. All right, ramen. Uh, get it. <laughs> you don't like ramen. No, Here's the thing, you know, we want her to get away with stealing the thing. We want her to talk her way out of this situation with the cop. So similarly, when, uh, Norman is trying to dump, uh, her car in the swamp, you know, or in the quicksand, it's hovering there for a second and we're like, Oh God, it's not going to go down. And then it sinks down and we're like, Ooh, you know, so that's a definite thing that Hitchcock wanted is like feel as tense. You know, your sympathies always lie with whoever the main character is at the moment, mm-hmm. and you kind of want him to get away with covering, covering up. When this that murder. happened, I was like, "Oh, good. Maybe she's still alive in the trunk. She <laughs> <get out." laughs> Maybe she'll find a way out." Yeah. Uh, Carla said, uh, "This is a huge mistake, Janet Lee." <laughs> Not sure if you're talking to the actress or the character. Uh, he puts her in room number one. Carla said, I'm putting you in one so I can kill you. <laughs> uh, I made a bad joke at w- one point that Norman had introduced Shocking. himself as masturbates. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but Carla didn't really hear what he said. So you said, really? He said that? Masturbates? <laughs> And then I believe she, anything. And then after everything Norman was saying, you added, so I can kill you. <laughs> to kill you. <laughs> uh, when you heard the mother's voice, she said, sounds like a man's voice to me. Am I spoiling it for you? <laughs> but it doesn't really. It did really sound like a woman's voice. Uh Another thing that I love is like it, he makes it so real, like those moments where he stutters, like you don't even know if it was like Perkins, like stumbling over the line or like it's Norman very real. Yeah. starting. He's like, it's a false f- falsity. Mm. Yeah. And uh, she's an in, 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 invalid. Mm. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you stuttered over invalid earlier in the podcast. What? Do you have something to tell us? Uh, North by Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> letting uh, having. Letting having me. Letting having me. Uh, then Carla said, get to it, master of suspense. <laughs> Sometimes just going for it is better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because they have to have their long talk. Which I really like that scene I a lot. do, too. You're right. Afterwards, of I liked Marian it. Of Marion and Norman in the office, you mean? But, yeah. but I was like, at that point, I had forgotten about the talk, and I was like, damn it. Come on. We got to get through this. Get to the shower scene. Yeah. But you're right. It is. It's... It, it's good. He's got all the shows, creepy birds in yeah, there. Yeah, and, and it shows an interesting part to Norman's personality. And then that's the scene where Janet Lee decides she's going to go back and give the money back. Right. Which is what makes it even more tragic that she then dies. I get it. See, I'm a smart person. <laughs> I just have feelings in the moment. Her last name, of course, Crane. Crane, a type of bird. So she's just another Weird. bird that he's going to collect and stuff. What's the Hitchcock's obsession with birds? I'm sure there's been a book or... 
I, th- I think that there are some figures in the in the score that are sort of meant to be imitative of of bird calls. Oh. Yeah, I think that first thing that you hear, uh, the the first. Play it for us. You were just about to turn and play it. Yeah. Uh, here we are. So that thing that goes dulium, dulium, bum, 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 dulium, it, yeah. it's kind of indistinct what, you can't really hear exactly what's happening, but it's actually these notes, but it's really fast. And I think, you know, when you have a whole string section doing that really fast, I think that's kind of bird call-ish. Yeah. I think that happens, there's a lot of things like little, uh, things that happen later in the score like that, that are, uh. I think on top of that, I can hear birds outside your window. Those are bird calls. Yeah, (laughs) I think. Are you imagining them? Is the music suggesting those bird calls? All right, get back to it, masturbate. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, the next Carlos quote is: "Ooh, he's stroking his bird." (laughs) Oh yeah, he was. (laughs) So that's how they suggested it uh, in Hitchcock's day. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to show the full Monty. Also a movie not on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. The beginning of the shower scene, Carla said, nobody smiles like that when they're showering. Oh, yeah. She was real happy in that shower. I have a big old grin when I shower. (laughs) Okay. I'm like, end of stinky time, beginning of cleany time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be a Janet Lee stanking all day. (laughs) Then you said, thanks for ruining showers for us, Hitchcock. Then you said, ketchup. So much ketchup. It was ketchup, right? Wasn't it chocolate syrup? <gasps> You're right. That's what it was. <laughs> I knew it was because a food. Because it's black and white. That's, that's exactly that right. It need to be red. Yeah. yeah. You're totally right. And the little clip that I watched, uh, they don't have a trailer yet for the 7852 documentary, but uh, on Entertainment Weekly, they had a little clip from the movie, and they specifically were talking about the sound effects for the stabbing. Uh-huh. And do you know what it is? No. What is it? It's uh, They tried out a whole bunch of different melons. Every variety of melon. And so the sound recorder had a whole session with Hitchcock where he stabbed into different melons. And then Hitchcock listened to them all and said, cassava, and left the room. Cassava? <laughs> cassava. Cassava melon was the, was the perfect Weird. melon to get the stabbing. And then you're listening to modern day, uh, sound guys kind of talk about why cassava was perfect because it's got like a big fleshy part with, with the tiny juicy part in Gross. the middle, you know. I can never eat a cassava again. Just kidding. I don't know what cassava is. <laughs> you're, yeah, Carla, you eat a cassava every day. <laughs> Um, Are you talking about apples? <laughs> <laughs> a cassava a day keeps the psycho away. <laughs> uh, after uh, after the shower scene, uh, Norman, you know, because his mother uh, clearly killed this woman, and uh, he mm-hmm. comes and he's like, "Mother, mother, blood, mother." <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he cleans up after her. And uh, I guess he did. He th- does he throw away the slippers? Because <laughs> you said those poor slippers are without a home now. Oh yeah, because they make a point of showing her pack the slippers, and then they make a point of leaving them next to the tub. Yeah, after she dies, they being Hitchcock. Then you said he's really cleaning like a man. <laughs> Yeah, he's just kind of like <laughs> doing a half-ass like, job. I'm just waving like I'm in a parade. <laughs> that's what that's how men clean. Yeah, so CSI is probably uh, could probably pick up some uh, some traces or two. Yeah, you have to ask uh, CSI. 
After he dumps the car, Carla says, now he has to call Uber to come pick him up. Oh, my God. Did you know that Hitchcock invented Uber, too? I'm the worst. You guys feel free to turn this podcast off right now. That's the worst ever. When they show, there's a montage of Arbogast uh, trying different hotels and motels to see if she stayed there. And uh, during this montage, Carla said, hotel, hotel. And that one's called Rooms for Rent. And that one's called Hotel. <laughs> what? I don't even remember that. I think I was falling asleep at this That's time. right. We watched this in two chunks. <laughs> and you were falling asleep during the first one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, I mean, you knew the name of the hotel was not Hotel or Rooms for Rent. <laughs> but it might as well have been. Um, And then... uh. Arbogast uh, kind of grills Norman, but then he gets suspicious that the mother might have seen something. So he returns to the uh, to the uh, the house, the the Bates house, to go in. And Carla said, "Why'd you have to go back, man? Mm-hmm. You could have been someone. You could have been a contender." <laughs> <laughs> then you said, "I've never seen that movie." And you said, "You will be. You will be. Oh, you will be." Spoiler: <laughs> Seeing it, you will be seeing it. Uh. And, uh, I kind of, in some ways, I like the, I think the second killing is even scarier for me in a way. Yeah. Uh, but. Except for when he's falling through space. I love it. I love. <laughs> I, I like that too. The me thing of Arbogast falling, uh, backward down the stairs. And Carla said, yeah, that fall's not the best, Hitchcock. <laughs> uh, but I like it because it starts with an overhead shot of mother coming out of the bedroom just as with a knife in her hand just as he's coming up the stairs then it cuts to martin balsam like clearly just kind of flailing his arms and then that that was a that was a special effect shot uh that they shot the camera going down the stairs and that did a separate shot of him doing that so i think obviously uh i mean they could have found a stunt man who could do that stunt i think but i think hitchcock yeah, I, wanted the artificiality yeah exactly i think way. it was stylized it's very stylized and yeah also she stabs him in the forehead yeah right isn't that where the well, he, there's is? a slash down his face yeah, yeah. oh that's a tough it's way kind of reminiscent of some of the shots in, in vertigo isn't it the way it kind of artificially goes down the stairs uh that's what i thought yeah well uh, uh Carla loved Hitchcock. I conflate the two of you all the time. (laughs) Hitchcock loved rear projection. Yeah. You know, and if there was anything he could do in the soundstage, like he preferred that as opposed to being on location. But uh, the strange thing about Vertigo is there are so many shots of San Francisco in it, uh, but then it'll mix to something that's clearly rear projection. But I think clearly it didn't bother him because he enjoyed the artificiality of it for some reason. Um. And then uh, Marion's sister and her lover start trying to track her down because she hasn't turned up yet. And uh, and Carla said, come on, guys, piece it together. I always assume the worst. Like, I'd be like, Bates did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this must have been when they uh, go to the sheriff's house and the sheriff and his wife are there. I think this is the robe the sheriff is wearing because she said, look at that robe. People don't wear robes anymore except, <laughs> except if, they're, if they're at a spa. Do you have a robe? I got robes. Of course robe. you do. I totally, I can see that happening. We don't have robes. I want one though. Yeah, nope. they're not hard to come by. <laughs> you can so find st- one. They're still out there. Yeah. Still yeah. At Target, okay, I'm good. sure. And then in that scene with the sheriff, the here's a key reveal. Norman Bates' mother has been dead for 10 years. And, <laughs> 
and Carla's made that exact sound. Oh, <laughs> you, you, you went, <gasps> that's what it sounded like in the theater when this came out. <laughs> then when her sister breaks into the uh, the Bates house, you said, don't leave the door open, dummy. Then he'll know you're in there. Ugh. It's like horror movie 101 with these people. Because <laughs> it was horror movie 101. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it invented the trope. So they're all- I'm, I'm quoting Carla's quotes right now. <laughs> uh, then you said, fancy bedroom for a dead lady. Whoa. <laughs> then you said, then she goes into the closet and there's a bunch of mother's robes hanging up. And you said, robes. <laughs> so many robes in this movie. What do they mean? Is it a theme? I'm being serious. <laughs> <laughs> robes and slippers and Ro- birds. Okay. Yeah. What do you think it means, Carla? Uh, I think it means don't get uh, too comfortable <laughs> or you'll be killed. <laughs> uh, so don't wear a robe. <laughs> this is my, my favorite quote for this movie. Can you imagine having to put on your mother's dress every time you go to kill someone? <laughs> <laughs> Like, you've got to stay fit and everything, you know? you got to stay a size four or whatever, you know? Uh, oh, I want to kill someone. Oh, fuck. i got to put on mom's dress. <laughs> okay. And so, wonderful scene in the cellar uh, where she comes across uh, mother's corpse, which has been yeah. mummified and preserved. And then she bumps the light bulb, which swings back and forth, yeah. you know, and then we see Norman running in in the dress and it's so creepy. And then that shot of the light bulb panning across the skulls, mother's skulls yeah. face is like so great. And then we end on probably the most controversial scene of the movie, which is a five minute scene of a psychologist explaining Norman's uh, condition. Right. It's strange. It's very strange. Why would you say it's controversial? It's controversial because it's so out of tone with the rest of the movie and it spells everything out for you. But maybe maybe an audience in 1960 needed this for some reason. Uh, but today we certainly don't. And it feels like a very clunky way of ending this movie. I think that's fair. Well, it it explains, yeah, the the dynamic with his mother and how, and all the psychology behind it, which we all know because we've seen so many of these movies now. Yeah, so it might be unfair to grade it, you know, and maybe the maybe you just need it spelled out a little more at the time. I would have preferred um, a scene where um, the sister and Sam hook up. <laughs> Where they they make full love. Yep. Just full out make love. Yep. Um, Carla said, we get it. You don't have to explain it with this bad actor. He was bad. <laughs> you, you know, his other most famous role is he plays Lieutenant Shrank in West Side Story. Oh. So he's like, Did you... Did you know that? No, but no, I do recognize him now. Yeah. That's funny. You kids, you gang members, get out of this soda shop. You know, I've so never he's... seen all of West Side Story. Well, you just might get to see <laughs> really all of it. West Side Stories on your list? I can't reveal that fully, but uh wow. but yes. What a softy. <laughs> tonight, tonight. I know the music. You know the music. It's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. It's on the list. <laughs> guys, guys, it's on the list. And I love, I love West Side Story so much. Oh, I can't wait to get to it. I want to move it down the list so we can do it next week. No. Isn't it a bunch of white people playing Hispanic people? Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get oh, to boy, that. questionable movie. Every choices. Puerto Rican's a lousy chicken. Um, <laughs> what? If there was one quote you could pull out yeah. of West Side Story. Oh. Every Puerto Rican's a lousy chicken. Do, do, do. Here come the Jets like a bat oh, out right. of hell. Someone messes it with us. Someone <laughs> don't feel too swell. Man, if you guys didn't want to listen to the West Side Story podcast <laughs> before that, I, you probably definitely don't know. <laughs> this, of course, my new podcast, West Side Story Minute. Uh. <laughs> there probably is a West Side Story Minute out there already. There's a Minute podcast. For every fucking movie. Is there? At this point. Totes, my goats. Uh, just Is that one. Movie on the list? Totes, my goats, not on the list. Uh, from the makers of Too Bad, Totes, my goats. Uh, one final Carlos quote. I made another bad pun, which is the psych- psychologist refers to the most horrible crime, matricide. And I said, that's when you kill your mattress. Uh, and Carlos said, matricide, a new musical coming to Broadway. <laughs> Uh, but at least beyond the, the kind of clunky psychologist scene, there's the great final shot of Norman sitting there and we hear mother's voice, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, she wouldn't harm a fly. And there's one, as we cut to the car being pulled out of the quicksand, uh, there's just this shot of Anthony Perkins with this shitty, shit-eating, scary grin. Mm-hmm. And uh, subliminally, Hitchcock added one shot of a skull superimposed over his face. So that adds Weird. to the, uh, the creepiness. Yeah. Uh, Carla, what you, would you think of Psycho? <laughs> so, I, I've seen it a few times. Yeah. I love this movie. I give it an A. An A? Mm-hmm. Awesome. John? Yeah, I give it an A. It's an A. It's a good movie. It's staying on the list. Uh, it's it's great. I Even mean, it's, when you know all the twists and turns wait, wait, of it, it's wait, still great. You, you didn't ask for what her A stands for. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we get for having a having a real fan on the podcast. <laughs> what does the A stand? Play the for? hits. Was uh, play the hits. Play the hits. Arguably one of your best picks. Oh, okay. Where, where uh, it's not better than Dog Day Afternoon. No. Not better than uh, It Happened One Night? It might be. Better than It Happened One Night? Better than Toy Story 3? Ooh. Maybe. So right around there. Yeah. Okay, so it's probably in your top three movies that we've covered so far then. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. But I knew that going into it. Okay. You want to do a scene from Psycho? Sure. John, you want to accompany us on the piano? I would love to. Okay. Should we do Marion and Norman in the office? Who are they? (laughs) (laughs) The two main characters of the movie? Norm- in the office? Yeah, the office at the motel with all the creepy birds around. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And when you said office, I thought of the opening scene in her office where she worked. Oh, okay. Okay, so we're doing this You were scene. thinking of the, the, uh, the Ricky Gervais show, The Office? Yes. I was thinking of that. Okay, I'm ready. I hope. Let me I- spill some water on my first. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I, uh... Brought you a sandwich. Uh, oh, you you really didn't need to do that. I'm not I'm not even hungry. I barely eat anything. Ever. Oh, you eat like a bird. Well, yes. You're not the first man who's told me that. <laughs> Crane. That's a uh, interesting last name. It's a bird. It is a bird. Mm-hmm. It's a plane. It's Superman. 
I, I like that show as well. Um, go ahead, eat. eat. I'm, I'm not hungry. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll eat. You don't have to watch me so closely. I want to see what your mouth does when the sandwich goes in. That's strange. Um, but I'm, I'm all of a sudden very hungry, so... Are you calling me strange? No, 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 no. I was just saying, um... T- can you uh, take a step back, please? I, I want to be right in your face when you eat this sandwich. Ah, uh, this is delicious. It's a delicious sandwich. You know, you really, you really should move out of your mother's house. It's, it's kind of creepy. Oh, I, I could never leave my mother. But I, I heard that argument that you had, and it, it sounded strangely like a man-woman voice. A man-woman voice? What do you mean by that? I, I'm not quite sure, but um, I'm just saying. It was clearly my mother's voice. Sure. And then my voice. Mm-hmm. And these are two totally different voices. No, I understand. Um, are eat, you, your, eat your sandwich. You are you masturbating right now? Just a little bit. <laughs> Ah. I'm stroking my bird. Yes. That's what I call my dick. Yes, I um, I think I uh, I'm feeling a little tired, a little sleepy. Oh, sure. You you want to go to bed so I can kill you later? What? What was that? Nothing. Oh, I thought I heard you say so you could kill me. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Because who would do that? Who would do that? A but psycho. A psycho would do that. <laughs> but. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, make sure you leave the door open so I can kill you. I have $40,000 in my bag. I don't care. <laughs> Total MacGuffin. Total MacGuffin. What? were actually lyrics written uh, in that language. Ida, Ida, be frittata. Uh, well, John, thank you so much Thanks, for, uh, for coming today. It's been a today. great pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That was Thanks for letting talk. having, in fact. That was some real smart talk, John. <laughs> it was good letting having with you. Letting having is always fun. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to, I'd love to plug the, the last couple of things that I wrote music for. Sure. Uh, uh, one of them is a podcast available on the Howl Network. Uh, it's a, uh, Serial film noir story written Ooh. by James Urbaniak and Bree nice. Williams, uh, starring James Urbaniak and lots of people, including uh, Andy Richter and Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, cool! And uh, it's called A Night Called Tomorrow, and it's a uh, yeah, it's a like, 1950s Hollywood set film noir serial story, uh, and uh, it, I think it's a, a really cool show. Amazing! That's uh, so cool. And then I would also love people to check out the show Con Man, uh, created by Alan Tudyk on. Uh, available on Comic Con HQ, the uh, streaming platform. It's Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion, right? That's right. Yeah, and it's about. Uh, are they don't do they play themselves? They play or versions of. They themselves? play sort of thinly veiled versions of okay. themselves. Yeah. It's about them going to various uh, comic, yeah, it's comic about, conventions. Uh, yeah, it's about uh, Alan Tudyk plays an actor who used to be on a uh, a cult sci fi TV show that uh, was canceled, but he still goes to a lot of Comic-Cons. Hilarious. Thus, Con Man. People and it are is so really creative. Hilarious. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, Congratulations. Congrats. congrats. That's wonderful. Carla, anything uh, you want to plug? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to get into next week's movie then. Great. Can't and wait. You can't wait. And uh, what number are we on today? We are on, of course, uh, number 73. So this is number 72 okay. next week. And, uh, oh, this is, uh, this is an epic. It's a Western. Epic means long. It's a Western. Okay. And this was an Academy Award winner for Best Picture. 
this is at least a three-hour movie. So <laughs> I think I have the extended director's version, which is more like four hours. Yeah. It was made in 1990, and it was directed and stars Mr. Kevin Costner. And this movie is Water called... Waterworld. <laughs> no, it's not Waterworld. Uh, though it, it would be great if this was also a show at uh, Universal Studios theme park. Uh, it's called Dances with Wolves. Mm. You think that Dances with Wolves is one notch better than Psycho? <laughs> well, going into making the list, that, that was true. Whether that will remain true when all we're right. all done with the rewatch... I think I'm going to use a pass. What? Whoa. <laughs> Craig, is this the first time that's ever happened? <laughs> Carla, you're taking Where's the a, music? Carla, you're taking you a pass? <laughs> What's the pass? Theme song from Pass. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't want to watch it. You don't want to watch Dances with... I don't give a with... fuck about that movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm just honored that this happened in my living room. <laughs> Carly, you only have to watch a third of it. I don't... I, I haven't used any of my... Pa- how many passes do I get? You have three passes total. This feels like a good time. Number 72? That means I'm a third of the way through okay, this cause the bullshit. Ne- <laughs> Actually, the next movie after Dancing with Wolves is also four hours long. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, you might, that might be a good call. Uh, okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, a Craigslist first. The first pass that <laughs> Are you committed we've to done. using the pass now that you declared it? Yeah. I'm not going to watch okay. it. It's official. It's out there. It's okay. The I don't need to see this, right, you guys? Okay, but what you do need to watch then, is, you need to watch a substitute movie. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> it's about an hour 40. The Bodyguard. <laughs> the Bodyguard. Are you going to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Um, maybe. You can watch a Costner movie. You could watch a Bull movie. Durham. Bull Durham. I've never seen Bull Durham. Oh, Bull Durham's movie. great. Maybe I should watch Bull Durham. We, I have that. On DVD. It's on the second hundred. Do I have to decide right now? You don't have to decide right. right now. Okay. But I'm going to think on it. Okay. So next week's podcast, I will be covering Dances with Wolves. <laughs> Carla will be covering the film that she's watched instead. But it doesn't mean that I necessarily think that it would be better than Dances with Wolves. Whatever I pick. This is just what you'd rather watch. Yeah. Just what I feel like watching. Okay. Because I don't want to sit down for four hours and watch a movie about um, Kevin Costner. I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> What do you think it's about? Dancing with Wolves? Yeah, that's um, I feel like it's probably about him uh, hanging out with some Native Americans and stealing it's a hangout their culture. Movie. It's a hangout movie. Yeah. It's stealing their culture. Yeah. Taking it back to his white friends. That's nah, the MacGuffin. It's not really, <laughs> it's not really about that. Uh, yeah. The, the I've native, seen the, a part of this though, movie. I've seen it. But a part of it. Okay. But I will tell you what it is. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that next yeah. week then. Okay, guys. Tune in next week for what is sure to be a interesting uh, podcast. Wait. Where do you have to watch the movie that I pick? Uh. I think yes. <laughs> well. Oh, too bad we didn't figure this out ahead of time. What do you think, John? You be the tiebreaker. I think no. I don't think he has to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, John. You know, no, Carla, I, because... I, I will. I will watch the movie. But I'll... why did you say no? Because he's he's going to prepare his movie. Oh and yeah, I think that's if, a good point. If you don't want to see his movie, then uh, I think I will watch <laughs> your movie, and you got to write down Craig's quotes during the movie. Okay. Oh, okay. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> New theme song uh, for Craig's uh, quotes. We're going to watch Sense and Sensibility. Oh uh, okay. <laughs> no! I I recently rewatched that. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll think of something appropriate for for this next one. Okay. Tune if you guys it. have any suggestions, tweet us. Oh, yeah. Tweet us at Craigslist PCAST. Uh, let us know what you think Carla should watch this week. 
Yay. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next week. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>